0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church once again thanks for checking out our sermon here at hope church please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family enjoy the message so appreciative of our worship team um spoken a lot of years been approaching 23 years in ministry now spoken a lot of different camps different places as a former student pastor and and a lot of times you'll have these worship guys that'll come up to you and you say, hey pastor, you know, how do you want us to leave the crowd? Do you want us to leave them up or down or you know, ready to go or in a solemn mood? And, and really my answer most of the time is just, how about worshiping? <laughs> we'll just start there. Uh, and that's exactly what this worship team does. Um, every single week, when the when Pastor Vance or whoever it is steps into this pulpit, um, we can un, we can know and be for sure that the people are in a spot to where they are acknowledging who God is because of our worship team and what God's doing. So I'm so thankful to them. Happy Father's Day, everybody! It's awesome stuff. Um, I want to start off today by being a little transparent to you. Uh, Pastor Vance said that on the video. This is my first time speaking here at Hope Church. Um, my family and I moved here last July from Vancouver, British Columbia. And um, we uh, are a lot wet, more, a, lot, a lot wetter up there. <laughs> um, it's drier here for sure. Um, but we had the privilege of uh, coming here last July and building a family ministry team. And so that basically means that our family ministry is laser focused to connect children, birth to fifth grade, middle school, high school, college students, and their families to live the life of a Jesus follower. And so that's our focus. That's who we are. We have built a team um, some people were here before I got here. Some people have joined us since I've gotten here. But Carissa Carter helps lead our preschool. Tony Coniglia and Elijah Pittman lead our elementary. Trenton Dorner and Marco Marin lead our Hope students middle school and high school. Christian Gracia leads our Hope College and grads. Carrie Gilliam is our administrative assistant that keeps us all together and organizes us. And the main focus when I got here was to build this team, birth through college, focused on loving and serving the students and the children here at Hope and in Las Vegas. That was our main focus. And let me just give a shameless plug that we still need a lot of volunteers. And all throughout preschool, all throughout elementary, all throughout our students, we need volunteers. And so if you'd like to do that, pray through that. Um, We're doing a big launch for that in August as school starts back up. We'd love to talk to you about that. Um, But in the future, we're going to be adding areas of our family ministry that comes to thinking through parenting and enriching marriages. And so there's a lot that we have responsibility for as a family ministry team. And I'm excited for the foundation that's already been built for this to take place. But for me personally today, and even right now, I'm facing a temptation. And that temptation is to impress You know as well as I do, when you're new to a job, there's a desire to impress those who hired you with your quality of work. And that's not all bad, but in my situation right now, standing right here, if that's my only motivation, then I'm not standing here with any pure motives. And so I've been reading and praying through a scripture throughout this week, knowing that this temptation is here, Galatians 1.10 says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ Jesus. So I'd just like for you to join me in prayer as we launch into this message of God's word, that the focus here would be the pure motivation of this, would be the teaching of his word to us today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. God, I pray that today would be a memorable day for everyone in this room, but not because Jeff Phillips is standing here speaking, but because you, Holy Spirit, want to impact the lives of every person in this room. And so, God, we ask you today to move in people's lives. We ask you today to draw people to a relationship with you for the very first time. We ask you today to affect relationships today for the very first time. So, God, we ask you, Holy Spirit, you do a work and speak to us today. God, move in us, guide us, guide our time, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. A little bit about me. I was born in Wichita Falls, Texas. Even though I moved here from Canada, I'm not a Canadian. Uh, born in Wichita Falls, Texas. Raised in Crowley, Texas, just south of Fort Worth on three and a half acres. Um, we had sheep and a donkey and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm true Texan when that comes. Um, but just south of Fort Worth, there. Um, my little brother, uh, when I was five years old, he was 14 months old and died of spinal meningitis. So, that was was a tragedy that hit our family right out of the gate for me three years later my parents never recovered from that and got divorced so by the time I was eight years old my little brother had died and my parents had gotten divorced but in the whole time I was in the church my parents made sure that I was being exposed to who God is and his love for me at the age of 10 I gave my life to Jesus Christ Grew up in a student ministry, very active in a youth ministry as a teenager. Graduated from Crowley High School and decided that God was calling me um, to attend Dallas Baptist University. And the re- way that I decided that God was calling me is because they offered me the most money. <laughs> I tell high school students all the time, they're like, I don't know where to go to college. I just don't know. And I'm like, who's offering you the most money? Who's offering you the best scholarship? That might be a clue, right? And so... Uh, So that's why I went there. But uh, called to ministry there as a freshman at Dallas Baptist University and began being a student pastor in a small church in North Dallas in 1994. I met my wife, Sarah, at Dallas Baptist University. We graduated from DBU. I attended and graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, continued student ministry. Uh, After we graduated, uh, my wife and I were called to to be the student pastor at First Baptist Church, Gardendale, Alabama, a little town north of Birmingham. It was a big mega church there, um, and we were there uh, for about six years, and my um, kids were both born in Birmingham, and so they, I can't, guys, I can't do it. I can't keep them from rooting for the University of Alabama. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much, my, my stepdad played baseball at the University of Texas, no matter how much I throw up the hook'em horns, they are still going to root for where they were born. It's something that's really weird. You, we've seen it in our pastor. Um, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but it's something. Um, it's in the water, I don't know, but it's something. But, but both of my kids were born in Birmingham. Um, we continued student ministry near Memphis, and we were in student ministry for 16 years. And then... God called us to go church plant in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. That couldn't have been more of a different calling. I mean, here's the thing. I was born in the South in Texas. I did ministry in the whole Southeast. And all of a sudden, God calls me. It was basically like Paul. He was a Jew of the Jews, trained as a Jew, was this amazing Jew. And God said, okay, you're an amazing Jew. Go preach to the Gentiles. That's what happened with me. We moved to Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, and we were there six years planting a church in downtown Vancouver. Hope Church began to partner with us in 2011. There were several people sitting in this room that came to help us in Vancouver with the choir that came up in 2012 to help us on a mission trip. And we were so excited to have Hope uh, Choir there. They did this cool thing in, a, in, a, in, in the mall. We had an underground mall in downtown Vancouver, and they did one of those uh, just started singing in the middle of the court the food court there, and that was a blast. We had a lot of fun, created some great conversations. Nobody in Canada had ever seen that by the way um, and so so yeah so but then uh, last year, uh, God began to stir in our hearts a desire to 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 uh, be a part of a church and to be a part of family ministry again and those kind of things. And Vance and I began to talk and God connected us here. And last July, we moved here. Um, Not the best time to move to Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) But we did. Uh, We left, it was 79 degrees in Vancouver uh, on a summer day on June the 29th. And uh, got here and it was 107. So um, (laughs) praise Jesus, right? So... (laughs) I do wanna wish every dad here a happy Father's Day. I have a family, I have two children myself. Uh, my two kids, like I said, they're born in Birmingham, Alabama, we got a little family pic I think up there for you. It's taken a couple years ago. My daughter and son will not be happy about the, me, us not having an updated family pic, but that is what it is. My daughter is 15 years old and, um, and she is an amazing singer and actress and loves musical theater. My son Ty is 12 years old and he loves all things baseball and we do a lot of that and I love love being their dad. And I love taking on the, chil- the challenge of loving my children the way God loves me. Now I haven't attained that, not even pretending to say that I have definitely attained how God loves me is the way I love my children. But God calls me to love them that way. And did you know that God calls every believer in Jesus to love other believers the way that he loves us. Not just our children. In fact, many of you sitting in here may not have children. You may say that you know Jesus, and I will say to you that he has called us the way that he loves us, he's called us to love others that know Jesus. Not only is God asking us to love others, but he's commanding us to. Now, as I said earlier, as a teenager, I grew up in a youth ministry, and I had an amazing youth pastor. And my youth pastor, I remember him saying this all the time. He said this. He said, everybody, he said, guys, if love were easy and natural for us, God would have never had to command us to do it. If you think about it, God never says, God never commands us to hate, never commands us to rebel, never commands us to do certain things that are very natural to us. You see, here's where we are, born sinners. No person on this planet is born with a natural inclination to love. We're born to hate, we're born to rebel. God desires us, commands us to love because He knows it's against our natural inclination. That is why He makes it an imperative to do it. So, how is it possible to love other believers the way we receive the love of God? We see that as we continue our series in 1 John this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says this What is the command? For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See, all John is doing here is he's continuing his message, um, Jesus' message, outlined to us in Matthew 22. Matthew 22 says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. It's fun to note here that John actually heard Jesus say those words in Matthew. As one of his disciples, he's hanging out, he's standing there. This man comes up to Jesus and said, hey, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of all? John's got a front row seat listening in to Jesus. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And without taking a breath, he says in the second, is equally important to love your neighbor as yourself. John hears, he's got a front row seat. He's pinned this in 1 John 3, saying, hey, I heard with my own ears Jesus say this. And so I'm saying to you, 1 John 3, 11, that we should love one another. John then moves on into verse 12. Using an illustration that shows the hatred from Cain toward Abel as biological brothers and opposition to one that Christian brothers and sisters should have toward one another. He says, verse. 12, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. We can't let jealousy and envy toward another brother or sister in Christ destroy our relationship. And Paul says right out of the gate, we need to love one another and we can't let jealousy and envy get in the way of that. Already while I'm speaking, I've been with the Holy Spirit now for a long time. (laughs) And already, while I'm speaking, there may be some relationships that you have with other brothers and sisters in Christ that the Holy Spirit's already bringing to your mind. Maybe they're broken and they need restoration. I don't know. So we see this command to love Now we need to look at what these verses teach about the command to love one another. What is is John about to tell us here? The first thing he says, my love for other believers testifies to the life of Christ in me. 1 John chapter 3 verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides and death. John is speaking to people who have a relationship with Jesus. We've established that. He's speaking about loving one another, other people who have a relationship with Jesus. We've seen that. And he's letting them know that if we truly love other believers the way that he loves us, then those that don't yet know Jesus might hate us as a result of our love. You say, why, how would that happen? Well, hate the fact that you can offer grace that they cannot. Hate the fact that you can forgive when they don't think the offending, the offending person should be forgiven. Hate the fact that you have a restored relationship with someone that you disagreed with. That's the context with which John says the world may hate you As they see your love for one another and they see you offer grace and they see you offer forgiveness and they see you trying to restore broken relationships with other believers, the world may step back. Those who don't yet know Jesus may step back and go, how in the world is that possible? I hate the fact that you can do that. The fact is, That in and of ourselves we can't do that. She says here in 1 John 3.14, he says, we know that we have passed out of death. Into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What is John saying here? He's saying, I was born, you were born, we were born, abiding, living in spiritual death. But Jesus came and breathed life into those of us who've accepted him and began a relationship with Jesus. Jesus breathed life into us. And now we are no longer dead, but alive in him. And because I received his life, here's what I also received. I received his agape love. Here's the incredible part of this word love that's flowing through 1 John 3. Is this the the Greek word agape? There are two main words in the New Testament used for love. The Greek word phileo, which is a brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo, that word. And the word agape, which is the complete love that comes from God. He's not using the phileo here. And you'd think he would, right? Because he's talking about loving one another, loving brothers and sisters in Christ. And so yeah, phileo, brotherly, friendship love. That's the love we should extend to each other as believers in Christ. He's not using that word, he's using agape. The complete love of God. And that we are to extend and to love other believers in Christ with the complete love of God. And I'm telling you, that's impossible without first receiving agape. I cannot give agape if i've not first received agape so how is it possible to love others in the agape type love that god loves us with john continues my love for other believers demonstrates what christ did for me let's look at 1 john 3:16 it says this we know love by this that he laid down his life for us that word love again agape this is the agape love of God that God the Father so loved us that he had his son Jesus lay down his life for us James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary here in 1 John 3 says this it is interesting to notice that there is hardly a verse in the New Testament that speaks of God's agape love that does not also speak of the cross John 3.16, Galatians 2.20, Romans 5.8, 1 John 4.10. In each of these verses, the cross of Christ is made the measure of God's love as well as the primary means by which we become aware of it. What is it that gives the love of God as seen at the cross its special character? Primarily, it is the element of self-sacrifice on behalf of those of us who are totally undeserving and even undesirous of the sacrifice. God's agape love for us is the greatest gift he can give us. His complete love meant that he would send his one and only son as a payment for our sins. That is the agape love of God, completely loving those of us who are undeserving, even undesirous, of his love. My son, his name is Ty. I love Hope Church. I love the people of Hope Church, but in complete transparency, I would not be willing to sacrifice my son for the well-being of anybody in this church. I know I'm supposed to whatever that's supposed to mean, but here's the deal. That God could do that for us is the very definition of agape love. It best explains God's God's agape love for us. He would pay the penalty for our sins. And for those of you who have received this love from God by admitting you're a sinner, believing in Jesus and all that he did on this payment on the cross, and then he rose again three days later to give us freedom and life, and then you've confessed him as Lord, or as we say in family ministry, as boss of our life, If you've done that, then you have received the agape love of God. In fact, you now have the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. And it's only after you've received his agape love that you can truly and actually extend God's agape love to others. My love for other believers demands following Christ's. Example. Again, we see 1 John 3.16. The first part said, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Look at the second part. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for brothers and sisters who know Christ. Things just got Real. The word lives here, we ought to lay down our lives. The word lives here in the Greek is the word suitcase. The English, we get the English word psyche or psychology from it. That word literally means our soul, our mind, our will, our heart. So we can read that verse, and we ought to lay down our soul, mind, will, heart for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Very rarely will we ever be in position to physically lay down our lives for brothers and sisters in Christ. Very rarely. However, this word does not only imply that we should physically lay down our lives, it also implies that we should continually. Died a self, just as Jesus did when he humbled himself and came to us. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus did not just lay down his physical life for people. When Jesus was walking on earth, we have to understand that Jesus was hundred percent God and he was at that time a hundred percent man. And being a 100% man, he got tired like we did. He got hungry like we did. He got thirsty like we did. He felt emotions like we feel. So we think of Jesus in John chapter four. And Jesus has been traveling with his disciples and he comes up to this old well. And this well is the lifeblood of this little town And he goes and he sits down next to this well and he's tired, the Bible says, from his journey. He sends the disciples on into town to get some food. And he's literally just lounging up against this well on the steps of the well. And the Bible says it's the middle of the day. And this woman comes up. Now, here's what Jesus could have done being tired. He could have just asked for a drink, gotten his drink, and let her move on. He's tired. There's something special for her that day. Or Jesus in Mark chapter 4, he's asleep in a boat with his disciples. I mean, he is sound asleep on this boat. And a storm is rocking the boat, water beginning to fill it, it, and Jesus is just sleeping away. And like children who wake us up in the middle of the night after they've had a bad dream, here come the disciples. Jesus, wake up! Do you even care that we're all about to drown? Jesus could have just rolled right over like most of us dads do, right? Right? But he didn't. He calmed the storm. Jesus in Luke chapter 8 is on his way to raise a young girl from the dead. He and his disciples are pushing through the crowd on their way to do an amazing miracle. But as the crowds pressed in all around him because his popularity was rising in that region, it became hard to get through everyone. And no doubt there was frustration from his disciples pushing people aside, basically saying, hey, we got a miracle to perform. Get out of the way. There's a woman there who knew that if she could just touch the fringe of his robe, She could be healed of 12 years of constant menstrual bleeding. So she fights through the crowd, touches his robe, and Jesus stops. The little girl is still dead. The situation is urgent. He has a task to go to. He has a miracle to go perform, but he stops, and that woman is healed. These are all illustrations of Jesus who not only laid down his physical life, but he laid down a lot of his physical elements for our sake. As believers in Jesus, we've received his agape love. And now we are to extend that same agape love to others. And that doesn't necessarily just mean laying down our physical lives for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Jesus. It's laying down our will. It's laying down our agendas. It's laying down our preferences. It's taking advantage of the time and the things that God miraculously puts in our place that sometimes because of the busyness of our schedule and the busyness of our agenda, we completely miss. He's asking us to slow down. He's asking us to consider others as more important than ourselves. He's asking us to extend that agape love To others. So how does this command to love one another impact us today? 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says this, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. How is it possible to love others the way God loves me? John gives us some practical ways. It's through our attitudes and it's through our actions. Our attitudes. Notice in that verse 17 that if, if we see a brother in need in our heart, we close our heart. That's, a, that's an attitude. Attitude. Closing our heart speaks of seeing another believer in need and choosing not to give affection or attention to that need. What if Jesus had closed his heart to the woman at the well and only accepted her drink but not affected her life? What if Jesus had closed his heart to the cries of the disciples on the boat that night? What if Jesus had closed his heart to the crowds pressing around him and be so focused on the task at hand that he didn't acknowledge the woman that day? I realize Jesus did do all these things and did not, in fact, close his heart. And his example shows us how we need to have our eyes, our attention, our affection, our heart open to the possibilities that God puts in front of us to love other believers the way that he loves us. So we adjust our attitude and line it up with who Jesus is, and we adjust our actions Verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. It's one thing to say I love you. It's another thing to show that to someone. This happens in my marriage all the time. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the five love languages, um, This book is an awesome book. It's a pretty good description about how we often love and receive love from others. The five love languages are words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, quality time, and giving gifts. This book explains that you often love others the way you like to receive love. For example, my top two love languages are words of affirmation and physical touch. So if my wife will just hold my hand, caress my back, just touch me in some way, I feel love from her. Or if she'll just compliment me with her words or something like that, verbal, then I feel love from her. Now my wife's two love languages are quality time and acts of service. So, if I'll just dedicate time just for us, she feels loved, or if I do something that she didn't ask me to do, but I do it out of kind of randomly, she feels love. But the problem is is that I love her the way that I want to be loved. So here's what happens in our marriage, most of the time. <laughs> I'll tell her, "I love you. You look so beautiful today." And that means nothing to her. <laughs> we'll be married 19 years on Tuesday, and I'm still trying to figure this out. <laughs> if I'm not spending quality time and doing acts of service, those, wa- those words I say fall on deaf ears. James actually illustrates that in James chapter 2 verse 15 it says this if a brother or sister is out clothing in need of daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and be filled and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body what use is that even so if it has even so faith if it has no works is dead being by itself our actions You looked at Jesus' life. You saw actions. That's how he loved. And he is our example. Band's going to come up. And there are three types of people in the room today. Those that do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I haven't received his agape love. It's impossible then for you to extend that to others. And you're kind of realizing that today. Maybe you're a dad here and you've been brought here to hang out with your family today. And you'd say, you know what, I I don't know. I've kind of been wondering how in the world some of these Jesus followers can love and forgive and show grace to others like they do. Today you've heard of God's agape love for you. You've heard that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to come and pay the penalty for your sin and, and three days later he rose again to give you victory, to give you life. You've heard today when I said that we were born, abiding, living in spiritual death, but that Jesus gives us life. And maybe today you've had this, oh my goodness, I, that is what I'm missing, I'm living. In that spiritual death I don't know if that's you today you may be one of these three people there's three types of people those that do not yet have a relationship with Jesus and maybe today you're the, the, your person number one you need to give your life to Jesus and begin that relationship with him and receive for the very first time his agape love for you maybe you're the second person and you're a Jesus follower but you're a Jesus follower that has some broken relationships with other believers in Christ. We've been talking about receiving the agape love of God and extending that agape love to others. and Maybe today, for the very first time, you're starting to realize, oh my goodness, there, there are some relationships that started coming to my mind of other believers in Christ that are not good. Can I just tell you this real quick? The person number one in this room that doesn't know Jesus Yet, prayerfully, sometimes the thing that keeps them from loving Jesus is how you don't love other believers if you're in the second part. Sometimes the person that doesn't yet know Jesus is just waiting for these two believers in Jesus to like work something out. And if we're really saying, because I've received agape love, I should extend agape love, what God wants to do today for some of you who are Jesus followers is he wants to start today to begin the process of restoration of you and another believer in Christ. I don't know who that is. The only person in this room that knows who that is is the Holy Spirit who's communicating that to you right now. But there needs to be a process that begins to restore some relationships with other believers in Christ. Maybe you're that second person today or you're the third person and you say, I'm a Jesus follower, I really, as I've been praying, I don't think there are any relationships that I have right now with other believers that need to be restored or repaired. What I ask you to do, if you're in that third, praise Jesus for that, first of all, and next pray. Pray that the enemy doesn't get his way because here's the thing the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give us life more abundant. That's John 10 10. And the enemy loves to destroy relationships between believers in Christ. And so if you can think, man, I don't got. God, I don't think there's any broken relationships. God, that's awesome, man. Okay, that's great. That's cool. But here's the thing. Pray. Pray for these others that are struggling in relationships. Pray that God would restore those relationships. He would repair those relationships. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Three types of people. One, you don't yet know Jesus, but today can be your day. Two, you're a believer in Jesus, but you have some relationships that are broken. Three, you're a Jesus follower that has good relationships and we're just asking you to pray. We'll have some pastors here at the front. We'll open up these steps for you maybe just to come down and just maybe lay your pride down. Maybe lay some emotion down at the feet of God and walk away and leave it there whatever God leads you to do today we just ask you to just listen to what God wants you to do God we love you we're grateful for you we're thankful for who you are God we just ask you now in the midst of all that you're up to God that you would help today to be a day that's memorable to be a day That is an Ebenezer, a a mark in the spiritual journey of people in this room. God, whether you're calling somebody to come to a relationship with you for the very first time, or whether you're beginning a process this morning of restoring relationships between other believers. God, I don't know what you're up to, but I know you wanna move and work in the lives of people today. And we just ask you to do that. God, we thank you for your word, the truth of your word. We thank you for your agape love for us. And we thank you for the challenge, the command that you give us to agape love other people who love you. So, God, may that be a reality in our lives today. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.